Vineyard Westside welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. Come as you are, because we believe that love wins, period. My kids make fun of me whenever I take a video on my phone because they can hear me dad breathing. I'm going to try to not do that. Okay. Today I want to talk about the five moves that we must make. The five moves that we must make if we want to um, experience the kingdom of God. The five moves that we must make if we want to um, partner with the Holy Spirit. The last couple weeks we talked about uh, some different parts and pieces of the Holy Spirit. And I want to continue that on today. But one of the things that I can't help thinking about, though, is uh, some things that we have to do to kind of prepare the atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to feel welcome. And um, just some things that uh, have been spelled out to us by Jesus himself uh, for a couple thousand years that all of us are called to do if you want to experience the kingdom of God, if you want to experience the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the things to, and I won't have time to get into all of it today, but I'm going to talk today a lot about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God is a place that Jesus talked about. It's a reality that he said, the good news is here because I'm here. As soon as Jesus arrived on the scene, he said, the good news is here. And that good news is that the kingdom of God is coming now. It's, it's already partially here. He said, but it's going to keep going. It's not done yet. It's not been realized to its full expression yet. You guys are going to have to keep the work going for it to for it to be beautifully complete at some point. Um, we live in the world, right? Most of us. We live in the world. Jesus talked about a place called the kingdom of God, and then the opposite of it, the world. The kingdom of this world. And when he talked about these things, he didn't say we were going to move to a different physical location. Uh, some of us think that it means heaven. That once we get to heaven, things will be uh, the way that they're supposed to be. And they will. But that work is already underway. And the thing that we prayed at the beginning is, Lord, that it would be your will done on earth as it is in heaven. That we would get to experience pieces of heaven here and now. And it's one of the, the coolest things about the kingdom of God is it is simultaneously already and not yet. It's already here. It's not all the way here. It's not going to be all the way here until Jesus comes back and um, <laughs> he comes riding in on a horse. You can read Revelation on your own time. But 
the thing that I wanted to talk about today is that um, the Holy Spirit is uh, most comfy at a certain house. The Holy Spirit is most comfy at a certain house. Um, do any of you have uh, any friends who, maybe you have a couple different friends who invite you to come over and hang out at their house every now and again, maybe go over there and have dinner, uh, but you have that one friend's house that's super comfortable to hang out in, and you can stay there for hours. And the other one, you love this friend, you don't have anything against them, but their house just is not, you know, their home isn't set up for, for spending a lot of time in. You're like, how do I get out of here as soon as I'm so uncomfortable? Just me? There's, there's, some, there's some friends that it's easy to go and hang out there. And others where it's, it's just harder for certain reasons. Because maybe the, the atmosphere hasn't been, hasn't been set up for, for hanging out. The Holy Spirit has a particular comfy friend's house. He is particularly comfy in the kingdom of God. He's particularly comfy in the kingdom of God, and it's a, a place where um, when it's operating, he is comfortable, and you don't have to beg him to come and show up and, and hope that he stays for more than five minutes. This, he wants to go there. He wants to hang out. See, Jesus had this expectation of what was going to happen after he did what he did on the cross. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God and that it was arriving on the scene with him, that it was going to grow in a certain way when he was crucified, but that ultimately the kingdom of God was going to get larger and larger and larger and larger and keep picking up steam. And that basically that Jesus weighs his, his, the, the culture that he was trying to bring, the, the, different, um, the different reality that he, was, that he was starting, that it would have this sweeping effect on the entire globe. That even though he never left about a 50-mile area from his house, that here in Chevois, Cincinnati, Ohio, 2,000 years later, people would be talking about it. This was the plan all along, and the craziest thing, it happened. Jesus talked about a mustard seed, and that it would start small, but it would grow into a huge tree. That the kingdom of God was like that, that seed, that it's starting here, and it seems little now, but it is going to explode. You're not going to believe it. The word says that the kingdom of God is advancing forcefully. And that forceful men will lay hold of it. Forceful, just intentional. Um, on purpose. That they will help to cause the kingdom of God to spread and grow and take hold uh, more than ever. And it's 2,000 years later and they're... It, I'm curious, I mean, I know Jesus knows everything, but did he, did he know about iPhones? Like, did he know about 
self-driving cars? Did he know about um, DoorDash? And yet, in the midst of 2021, there are people who are on that phone right now searching and seeking and thousands upon thousands will find Jesus today. It's crazy. And the thing is, it needs to be more than that. It needs to be way more than that. Um, One of the things about Jesus is that he is not into like holy huddles, like little small things. Um, and I, I, this, could, this could sound bad. I mean this in the most loving way. Jesus is all about world domination. He is all about world domination. That he wants everyone. He's been called the hound of heaven. <laughs> he does not forget ascent. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says, Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. All kinds of fish. Men, women. Dare I say, those in the transition between the two right now, all ages, all races, All nationalities, rich people, poor people, fat kids, skinny kids, kids who climb on rocks. And just that he was all about gathering more, more of them, more of them, that the kingdom of God would grow bigger and bigger and bigger because the way that this world is supposed to operate in his vision for it It requires more. It requires more, more, more. More people in the boat. Get more people in the boat. There are, um, one of the things that I love is seeing um, the physical realm reflect the spiritual realm. There, I'm one of the people who believes there's there, there are things that are going on behind the scenes that we don't really see with our eyes normally. Um, the Bible talks about, you know, powerful, um, there's angels and demons, people. <laughs> there's, there's spiritual warfare happening. There's, there's a war that's being waged right now for your soul. And you can't see it most of the time. But the physical realm that we live in a lot of times reflects the things that are going on in the spiritual realm. Um, a, a while back, a friend was telling me about, about Lake Tahoe, that they had recently come back from Lake Tahoe. And uh, Lake Tahoe, I think we, do we have that picture? Man, this place is just unbelievable. And it's in California. I've never been here myself. I would love to go there. It is known for being one of the most crystal clear waters um, and it is just, it's incredible. It's, it's an amazing thing that God put together. But Lake Tahoe has this phenomenon that happens 
where when my friend was there, he said they were swimming, they were like just hanging out around this lake for several days, and it's crystal clear, and you can see so deep into the water, and they come back the next day, and the entire thing is mud, and you can't see an inch into it. They're just like, how on earth, like what? I mean, who stirred it? <laughs> like, this is a big, this is a big drink. How, how is this possible? And so he looks into it more, and uh, Lake Tahoe evaporates 1.4 million tons of water every day. Uh, it's quite a bit. Once a year, once a year, when all the conditions are perfect, when the temperature is where it's supposed to be, when the atmosphere uh, does a certain thing it is supposed to do, this thing happens where they just call it the inversion and the lake flips. The water that's on the top rapidly goes to the bottom and the water that's on the bottom comes up to the top and so it stirs everything up but it happens quick. It happens once a year. It's this thing that happens instantaneously that is just a flip when everything is the right place that it should be. And they say that it's, it's why Lake Tahoe is so clear and beautiful and vibrant and full of life is because it has this inversion take place every year. Water rushes to the bottom, the bottom shoots to the top, inverts completely from crystal clear to mud. If you don't believe me, you should look it up. It's pretty cool. But it's one of those things where the physical realm mimics the spiritual realm. God wants to flip our lives. He wants to flip our house, our homes. He wants to flip our workplace. He wants to flip our family wants to flip your neighborhood. He wants to, and so it's one of those things when the, the temperature's right, when the atmosphere is perfect, when everything is just so, bam, it's going to flip. Um, I read a book a long time ago by Malcolm Gladwell called The Tipping Point. Um, the Tipping Point is a fantastic book. Malcolm Gladwell is a genius uh, the entire concept of this particular book is that there is a, a, a certain pivotal moment when things kind of fall over the edge and, and you can't stop them from there. That basically whenever any kind of a, a movement uh, sweeps through the nation, like Whatever, whenever there's a craze of any kind, uh, if there's a trend of any kind, if you're a TikTok user, you, you're way ahead of me, or you know what, you know, just all of a sudden something catches on and everyone is doing this thing, and you're like, how in the heck did everybody get onto this same trend, this same craze, this movement that happened? And here's the crazy thing it's been studied inside and out that. The magic number is not 51% of people doing it. 
Like, if you can get 51% of people doing it, then the rest of them are going to follow. The magic number is 16%. That if you can get 16% of any certain group of people doing something, the rest will fall in. The rest will fall in line. And so you might think, well, everybody's doing it. I guarantee you 16% or less are actually doing it until later. That once 16% of the population either starts buying something, starts doing something, starts believing something, it causes a tipping point to happen where things flip. 16% of Cincinnati is about 250,000 people. What would it look like if you got 250,000 people in Cincinnati to be kingdom bringers? 16% of this city who were intentionally going out and they were spreading the kingdom of God the city would flip. The entire city would flip. And it would be a big deal. It would be national news. They would say Cincinnati is different, and it's hard to explain. It's different than everywhere else. People are treating each other differently there. Um, people are helping each other differently there. The divorce rate is different there. The number of six sick people is different there. The number of addictions is different there. <laughs> like everything about this place is different. It's not like the rest of the world. Jesus uh, is all about calling us into that kingdom of God space and to call us into there he has to call us out of our boring and safe place that we know. If you're being called into an adventure, you have to leave the safe place. Today, we're going to run through five moves that you have to make to accept the invitation that Jesus has for the kingdom of God, where the Holy Spirit can be infused with your life. And this is a classic story. I don't have to, I don't have to reach far on this one whatsoever. Jesus spells these things out for us. He, he spells out five moves that we need to make. The same five moves 2,000 years ago are the same five moves that you may need to begin today. Luke chapter 5 says this in verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats that were left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Uh, the, the scene here is that so many people have heard about Jesus and they've caught that. And who knows, it was maybe 
said, well, we're going to see Jesus, and everybody else followed. But Jesus is being crowded in to the point where he's going to be crushed. And so he says, I have a plan. I'm going to borrow somebody's boat. I'm going to go out onto the water. The acoustics will be lovely. And so he looks to Simon. Simon's a, a great guy. He invented a game that people still play. Simon says, Jesus, take my boat. Simon is the one who would later be renamed Peter by Jesus because he said, Simon's, Simon's not even enough for you anymore. Your name is Peter, which means the rock on which I will build my church. And so Jesus uh, is in a place of overwhelming popularity. He's getting crushed by people. He needs a boat to get into, to get out into the water, to be able to teach And he leaves stability. If you're a note taker, even if you're not, please start. These would be a good one to start with. Number one, first move that you have to make is you have to leave the safe shore. You have to leave the safe shore. And the safe shore is super different for every one of you. For some of you in this room, your safe shore is insanely dangerous. And you might kill yourself doing it. Because for some of you, your safe place is drugs. For some of you, your safe place is something that's awful for you, but it's just something that you've known for so long, and it's, it's become that thing that it's, it's the only way that you feel safe. Others, maybe you've just always been afraid to take any kind of risk whatsoever for some of you your safe shore is in your wallet or your purse and so it could be um, you know I, I've known so many people whose safe shore was hoarding where that's the thing that made them feel safe but they were getting buried by their stuff and they were losing their family and friends, but their, their place of feeling safe was hoarding more and more and more stuff. Trying to make themselves feel secure. Man, leaving the safe shore is blessing people. If you're a hoarder, here would be my advice from experience helping people to get out of this. Um you won't be able to sell what you think you will. Give it all away. The kingdom of this world, this world that we're used to, is a place that's, well, you know, like, I mean, good for you that you're excited about this Jesus stuff. Why don't you just keep it to yourself? Maybe they've told you that at work. Like, hey, quit with all the all the Jesus talk. It's, that's fine that you're excited about it. We just don't want to. The kingdom of God, though, is a place that says, no, you don't understand. This is the thing that we kind of have to tell everyone we meet about this. Because there's still room in the boat. There's still room in the boat. I just talked this morning with uh, some 
people in our green room where we prayed before the service, and it was, it's one of those things where I know, I know I'm a jerk, kind of, but one of my pet peeves is, like, before or after the service, if I get stuck talking with someone for 30 minutes, and I, I just can't get away, and they're not taking any social cue that I am lobbing out there like, okay, well, oh, I'm getting a cramp. Like, I have code words set up for some of our ushers. I'm like giving them the, like it looks like I'm a third base coach. But the thing is, I don't even mind talking to somebody for that long, but I'm seeing people that I've never talked to before who maybe wanted to say something, uh, maybe I could have asked a question, uh, but I'm stuck with the same person again, and that person, I, I just walked, I watched them walk past the boat. No, the boat, the boat, they gotta get in the boat. Sorry, Luke chapter five, verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. This is move number two that you will have to make. Move to deep waters. Move to deep waters. You leave the safe shore and you're like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Okay, go deeper. Go out into deep waters. The first move is rough. It's scary. You're stepping off a solid ground into shaky territory. And then God says, okay, now I want you to move to deeper waters. Like, but it's over my head. And these could be a million different things. For some of you, maybe you've never been in a small group or a life group before. A group of people who intentionally get together to discuss God's stuff. And I will admit fully, my group is terrible at this. Like, we're really, really bad at having an intentional, like, Bible study plan. But you know what happens? We get together, and we share our lives with each other, and all of a sudden, somehow, God's stuff takes place. But for some of you, that's weird. Well, what the heck? You would get together and you just like, what do you, is it just like a group therapy session? Yeah, sometimes. And it's great. And it's free. You're a Westsider. It's free. And I, I can't say enough to make that a regular part of your life. Um, one, of, one of my friend's wives recently said, um, that she's just never seen anything like this before. She's like, do you know any other men, like anyone that you can think of that you've ever met besides our group of guys that get together regularly and talk about deep stuff? Like one of the things that our group does, uh, whatever hot button issue is going on that week, we're like, Let's talk about white privilege. Let's talk about this, this, this. 
and sometimes it goes until two in the morning, but it's deep waters. Deep waters might be something way different for you. Deep waters freak us out. Um, about 10 or 12 years ago, I was on a beach where, um, you know, about six feet into the water, um, it, it was like up to your waist, and you just kept going out further, and this is in the ocean, and the whole reason we even attempted it is because we saw a bunch of little people standing up in the ocean out there somewhere. And so we knew they were on a sandbar of some kind, but about three quarters of the way out there, I kind of started freaking out. Because, <laughs> you know, six feet away from the shore, you can just jump right back in and you're, you're fine. But this was like, there was deep water all around us. And I know there's going to be a sandbar up there, but there's deep water is like, there's X factors in deep waters. There are things with teeth I don't even know about. And it's, it's just, it's a loss of, it's a loss of control. It's a surrendering of control. And it's what Jesus requires. Because I need you to move to deeper waters. I need you to move to the place where you are absolutely not sure how this is going to turn out. Verse 5, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I always read this with, Simon's got a bit of an attitude when he's saying this, the, like he's kind of the voice. Uh, yeah, we, again, Jesus, fishermen worked hard all night at the job we always do professionally and haven't caught anything but because you say so I'll let down the nets Jeez, I don't tell you how to make cabinets but because you say so This is the B-Y-S-S method, because you say so. And it means obedience. And it's the third move that Jesus calls you to make. The move into obedience. Jesus knows he's talking to fishermen. He knows that they think that they know more than he knows. And he's calling them into obedience. It's the BYSS test. Because you say so. Obedience. Whenever I've discovered anything new about God, anything about the kingdom of God, anything about Jesus that surprised me and I was amazed and uh, it, it was an incredible experience, it was always because of some act of obedience that I was like, oh, I don't know. I feel like I, I know what's going to happen. But because you say so, I guess I'll give it a try. Because you say so. But there's certain things that I, I don't like what you're saying. Don't have sex with someone I'm not married to. <laughs> but it's so fun. But because you say so, 
All right, because you say so, I won't. Give away 10% of my money? How am I supposed to, like, I, I can't survive on my 100% right now. How can I survive on 90%? When my wife and I couldn't survive on our 100%, we started giving away 10% of our money, and we've been okay since. It's kingdom math. I don't really know. Love my enemies, even if they just stole my job from me, or if they, what if they said something about my kids? Because you say so, I'll try it. Uh, I started a diet, um, not because... Um, not because I wanted to. I like food more. Um, and I was like, yeah, I'm kind of, I think I could just ride this out the rest of the way, just eat whatever I want to. But the thing that kept ringing was that my body is a temple. And that uh, my temple was prematurely falling apart. Okay, God, because you say so. And this could be the reason that the kingdom of God hasn't shown up in its full expression yet. Because there aren't enough kids out there saying, because you say so, I'll do it. Because you say so, I'll give it a, I'll give it a try. But it's the, it's the move that Jesus is inviting you to, to step into. Um, a couple days ago at our house, we have a, um, I don't really know, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it other than we would call it um, my baseball card room. Um, I collect all kinds of, I love baseball. I have many, many, many thousands of baseball cards and um, constantly organizing them and, um, I don't know, doing what you do with baseball cards. It's hard to explain if you're not that kind of person. But this room is filled with just baseball-related stuff. And so most people come over and they kind of peek in there and they're like, hmm, that room's kind of weird. <laughs> but uh, my youngest daughter had a friend come over to our house and um, when her friend was going to be picked up her mom and her, her brother came in, and so her brother is an eight-year-old boy, and he was walking past, and he looked, and he was like, whoa! And he's a baseball player, and he was just like, it was like, he just like floated in there. It's like, this place is awesome! And so we just started talking about baseball, and he's like, yeah, I like Joey Votto, but my favorite player is Mike Trout. And so I grab a Mike Trout baseball card and give it to him. He said, Mom, can I start collecting baseball cards? <laughs> but that kid became my best friend instantly. <laughs> and so his mom hung out and talked uh, with my wife for a while. And just the two of us are sitting in the baseball card room and he is just going 100 miles an hour, just about everything. And he accidentally blurts out that 
um, at my child's psychiatrist um, when I'm doing breathing exercises. And he was like, um, yeah, I have to go to a psychiatrist because I have severe anger issues. And, um, and I could tell that he was like, he didn't mean to blurt. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's, that's really good that you're going and doing that. Is it, is it helping? Is it working? And it's like, oh, yeah, it, it is, it's working, but I, he's like, I, but I, I'm not allowed to stop going because I was saying that I wanted to kill myself. And, and he was like, but I don't really want to, I just said it. <laughs> and I believed him. He's like, and you can't just say it because people will take you seriously. And, and so we just, <laughs> the conversation shifted. And we're just sitting there talking and uh, like, well, yeah, what are, you, what are you getting so angry over? Uh, is it just anything? And he said, when kids on the bus call him a loser. And just uh, said, well, man, I, I hardly know you. I just met you and I know you're not a loser. And we're just talking for a little bit and talking about different things that he could do. And, and I just said, have you ever prayed before? Like, do you ever pray? He's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> I was like, it's something that you could try. I don't know if you believe in God or not, but if you start to get angry, you can just ask God to help you, to calm down, help you to... Uh, have the right words, help you to have wisdom for what the smart thing to do is, help you to um, know the truth, because I would say his truth for you is that um, you are not a loser at all, that, that he's proud of you. And just all of a sudden, I was like, I thought we were in the baseball card room, and all of a sudden, we were in the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm like tearing up in this room. I'm like, mm, this little cup. I'm going to beat up those kids on the bus. Just tell me where they live. I will beat up those kids. But the, the, thing, the thing was... The, uh, okay, do I bring up God stuff? Do I just try to be supportive? Do I, do, I go for, do I go for the God stuff right away? Like, this is a really little kid, and, um, and I, I, don't know his, I don't even know his mom's name. <laughs> and, uh, but I felt that thing from the Holy Spirit, and I said, because you say so, I'm going for the gusto. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to that little kid again. And I love that there's a place where him and his mom and his dad can go and learn about their true identity and about this place called the kingdom of God that operates differently where the only loser is Satan himself.
Anyways, I gotta speed up. Oh my gosh. The kingdom of God um, made me into an optimist and an idealist. Um, I, I kind of hate everything naturally, and I complain about everything. But the Holy Spirit has done this transform this transformative thing in me, where I'm able to see potential with people now, and that no one is too far from God, and that any situation that seems like it, it it seems so impossible that this could be fixed or made better that those are the ones that are super exciting because God moves in those things and the story is bigger that it, it couldn't be possible and yet God moved and there's more to just a mediocre life if you make the moves, you leave the safe shore, you go out into deeper waters, you move into obedience, and that will catapult you into move number four. That is move into fruitfulness. When you leave the shore, you go out into deeper, scarier territory, and you remain obedient, it, it'll work. It will work. God's principles will actually work for you. And it's not like a prosperity gospel thing where if you give $100, you'll get $1,000 by next Tuesday. All I know is like, I, I, can't, I can't risk enough for Jesus. I've never risked too much. Like, oh, that, that was too much. He didn't come through on that. It, In the kingdom of God, when you obey, there's a fruitfulness that comes that wouldn't be present um, if you were just uh, trying to be a good boy or a good girl. Um, and so what happens in this story is um, fruitfulness is heavy. It says in verse 6, when they had done so, so they, they, because you say so, Jesus, they let down the nets. Haven't caught anything all night. Just clean the nets. It says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled up both boats so full that they began to sink. The boat starts sinking. The vineyard in Tri-County um, that's the church that I went to before this one. Um, they were having, I think when we left, they were having five or six services. Um, the boat was like, the, it, the boat was sinking. There were so many, there were thousands and thousands of people and the boat was sinking. And so that's when we said, well, you know what? We're going to, we're going to, um, yeah, we're going to send out our own little, our own little boat.
If you're one of the people who uh, hates big churches, I hear that all the time. Well, we can't. It's a, like, I think some of you think that like, makes me feel good or something. Like, yeah, we left this amazing church. It was just too big. We like this one. It's no frills. And I think the move I'm supposed to make is like, yeah, yeah, we're just a, yeah, it's, it's small. It's like family. The trouble with that is that is not the way Jesus does things. It is always bigger, more, fill the boat up, sink it, get another boat. It is always bigger. Because he's rescuing people from hell. A lot of us church people uh, think we're not allowed to say that we want more money. Any of you want more money? I want more money. I want more money. So yeah, but you're supposed to take a vow of poverty. Uh Uh-uh, that's Catholics. I want more money because... uh, I use money to drag people into boats. Our church, I don't know how many people we have here today. It's not enough. It is not enough people. Um, We're down to one service because of this lousy pandemic. It's not enough. It's, it's, It's not gonna be enough until every single person is fished out of despair, is fished out of a a life of mediocrity, out of a life of this world, um, it's it's not enough yet. Close with verse 8. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore and they left everything and they followed him. They left everything and they followed him. It's a family business. They own fishing boats. This is everything that they know. Yet they have this encounter with Jesus where after making those first four moves, they get to experience the fruitfulness and what it causes them to do is exactly what, exactly what happens naturally. They make the move into worship. The fifth move is the move into worship. The disciples see this impossible catch of fish and they just go, uh, we're not worthy. And they drop to their knees. They drop to their knees and they worship. They realize that what they've just seen is an actual move of God. It wasn't like good leadership principles. It wasn't good, uh, like is he a fish whisperer? It It was a move of God. I want to see more of those moves of God 
here in this place. And so uh, I'm way out of time. I wrote too much. The challenge today and what we'll keep digging into is that uh, I want to challenge you all um, to take an active role in advancing this good kingdom, uh, which means inviting people. It means taking risks. It means having conversations that you never have because maybe you're an introvert. Introvert doesn't work for the kingdom of God. I used to be one of those too. It doesn't work because Jesus is calling me to talk to little kids about crazy stuff in the baseball card room. And so the challenge is to, to try to be intentional. For some of you, the challenge is that you would become the pastor of your neighborhood. That you would get a reputation. People come to our house and they've never been to our church before. I don't know if there's a flyer posted. They just show up when they're in crisis mode. And we get to, we get to grow the kingdom of God in our living room. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am I'm praying for partners. And I also just confess personally that you know, a lot of times I, I just I just take a back seat and I don't I don't jump on opportunities that I have to invite people into your kingdom to tell people more about you. It's just easier sometimes to stay quiet. But it's boring. And I, I want to see you move. I want to see more people come into your kingdom. I want to see more people filling up this church. I want to see more of the Holy Spirit just active I want that for my brothers and sisters in Christ. So help us to be intentional and to make these moves that you call us to. Bold and courageous. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. We pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Um, if you would like to um, actually, I mean, we could try to pray for you, but we're going to be going and buying pupusas downstairs. Um, so if we could do it in the line. I'll see you guys soon. For more information about Vineyard Westside, please visit vineyardwestside.com.